So guys, we uh, just, you know, Rodney has made reference. I think a few people were, were going to start this morning, uh, as has been referenced in Ephesians, starting with Ephesians chapter 1 today. And all of this has been, I just want to share a comment on kind of the heart behind this. Um, we got back, uh, those of us who went to the equip, the NCMI equip time in Chicago in June came back and I just felt like we need to speak into, um, revelations. We, we went in through revelations two and three, some of you would remember, and we looked at how that's not just about the end times, surely it is about the end times, but the end times are about a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we looked at, the, the letter, the uh, messages to those seven churches of Asia Minor and how Jesus is revealed. And um, it, it, that is the bedrock. It's the revelation of Jesus is the bedrock of the church. Everything that God has purposed for the church comes from a revelation of the Son of God. And uh, so what we felt uh, in this season is we need to move from there to understanding more about who therefore we are in this Jesus that we've been looking at. Because that's the kind of natural progression in God's purposes is that we see Jesus and it's in seeing Jesus that we see as in a mirror, a reflection of who he has made us to be. And if we're going to walk in this earth according to who he's made us to be, we have to see these things and be confident, not in ourselves, but in him. So, uh, just by way of review, we looked at, I'm gonna, I just want to make a couple comments to remind us of kind of a platform to set us up for this morning, is this idea of who, that you're a spiritual being. So we looked at body, soul, and spirit. First Thessalonians, I think it is, chapter 5, I think it is, Second Thessalonians first. Paul says that he wishes that we would be preserved blameless, body, soul, and spirit. Is that the scripture? Does the scripture teach us that we have three parts? Body, soul, and spirit. So you've got a body. Uh, that body does return to the ground, goes back to the dust. You have a soul. We looked at that. Your mind, your will, and emotions. You can say your thoughts, desires, and feelings as well. Either one. Uh, that's, you have that. That's your soul. It's, that's eternal. But then you have a spirit. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26... It says that God created mankind in his image. How many of you remember that? In his image. Jesus later in John chapter 4 verse 24 says God is a spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. If we are created in his image, does it mean that God is some big human-shaped form in the heavens somewhere? I'm going to let it weigh on you until I get a response. No, as the elders say in the front row. No, it's not what it's saying. That the, the idea that he made us in his image is that God is a spirit. And unique to the rest of creation, he made us in his own likeness. Can I say, just like the rest of creation, to reproduce after his own kind. Just like an apple tree bears fruit that has seed in it, that bears other apple trees, that bears other apples, that has seed in it, that bears other apple trees. We are made in his image. And he is a spirit. And that is what was lost at the fall, was this spiritual connection that we were uniquely created to have with God. Sin brought a disconnection of communion with God in the spirit. 
And when we become born again, we receive the Holy Spirit into our hearts. And it is not Holy Spirit Junior. It's not Holy Spirit kind of going to become the full Holy Spirit. You will never have more of the Holy Spirit if you're born again right now than you ever will have in your life. If you've received the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus. When you get it, you get it all. It's not so much that you get more of him. It's actually that he, through our yielding to him, gets more of us. So that what is already in us in completion gets out. And this is why, as a way of reminder, Paul says in Colossians 2 verse 9, you are complete in him. I, can we just say that? I am complete in him. You're not trying to get there. You're not trying to get to spiritual maturity. There is already the fullness of spiritual maturity in you. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in you by the Spirit. It's not a matter, again, of us getting more. It's a matter of him being released as we believe in accordance with him and have faith with him. And our bodies take action in accordance to those beliefs. And then the world sees the glory of God. Amen? Let it be more than an intellectual thing that we can agree with, but a deep resonance in our heart that this, these things are so. And if they're so, I must walk in them. And so today, what we're going to look at in Ephesians chapter 1 are these core, what I call, in him realities. Seven of them, found in Ephesians chapter 1. Because of who he is, this is who you are. Not who you're trying to become. This is what is already in you through the Spirit. You are blessed. You are chosen. You are adopted. You are favored. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. And check this out. All of this builds up to this core purpose. You have been glorified glorified. <laughs> it will get there. Some of you have read this book and you don't even know how I got that last one, but we'll, we'll get there. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read through it and just go through these point by point. Ephesians chapter 1, if you would with me. I'm going to read from the New King James. Um, if you have a different translation, it's not that I'm more holy than you and you're less or um, I'm, I don't know that there is a perfect translation. So, but I am happening to read from the New King James um, because I do find the King James more accurate, but it's not very accessible to the way we think, and so it's hard to read. So the New King James is preserves some of that accuracy, and it's a little easier to read. But if you... What does that mean? You didn't understand that? Okay. Let's get back to the Bible. How about that? Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, this is Paul writing a letter to a church that he planted, and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, there it is again, blessed us with every spiritual 
blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We've got three versions of the word blessed in that one verse, verse 3. The first is this, is that God is blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then you're going to see as a result, directly connected to God being blessed, is what that means about you and I and our position and our identity. Blessed be the God and Father. The word blessed, uh, eulogetos, is the Greek word that's translated eulogetos. There we go, eulogetos. Um, is uh, translated there into English as blessed be God. The idea of that word is adored, praised, blessed, praiseworthy. So God, G, uh, Paul is saying that God is adored, he's revered, he's worthy of praise, he is wonderful. Would you guys agree with Paul on that? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed. Who has blessed us? Eulogio is the word there. And the, word, and the concept there, obviously it's cl closely related to eulogetos, translated as blessed be the God of our Father. Eulogio means to speak well of, invoke a benediction upon, to bless. So what we're seeing is that God is blessed. He's praiseworthy. He's perfect. He's perfect in all of his ways. He's, he's high and lifted up. He's, he's perfect. He's wonderful. And that one, in who he is, has spoken blessings over all who have received Jesus. In the beginning, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, And he blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. The blessing of God is upon us through the Spirit that is already with us. Blessed He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. If you look up that one up in the original Greek, every. You know what it means? Every. All. Nothing being left out. Every. Every. Now check that. Just like bring that into our thought reality or into our belief system about ourselves. Again, this is not about putting faith in ourselves. This is about putting our faith in the blessed one. But in order for us to fully have faith and to walk in and follow that blessed one, we've got to know what he's done for us. And he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. The word there, eulogia, it's a slightly different word again, blessed us with every spiritual blessing, eulogia, meaning blessing or benefit. Every, Colossians 2, 9, you are complete in him. The things that you're facing in life, you have power in you to either overthrow or at least to walk through in victory in every single bit of it. The need to see the glory, everything we're going to see throughout the rest of this chapter, in a sense, kind of rests upon what we just looked at that we've already received it all in us through the Holy Spirit. We're not trying to get God to bless us. He has blessed us. It's a matter of being standing up in confidence, though I don't feel it or see it, I believe it because he spoke it. And I step out in faith in that. And, and, and though the waves may come crashing upon me, I, in the natural, I am blessed. 
I know my God is with me. He is for me, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, in Christ, God himself has deposited into us. No, excuse me. In Christ, God himself is deposited into us with the, all the blessing and benefits of Christ. At the end, we're going to have a moment just to be able to confess some of these things, to speak it. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him. There's the second one. He chose us. So we're blessed, every spiritual blessing. Number two, just as he chose us in him. And again, attached to every single one of these things we're looking at are in him realities. It's every time the word or the expression in him is found in this first chapter, we're looking at that. Just as he chose us in him, he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And I just want to speak over us that Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, I chose you. Now I know that there's some controversy around the meaning of that scripture. Here's the way I see it. Jesus left heaven before any of us had repented. He left heaven and came to earth on a mission to redeem us. Therefore, our becoming a son of God through faith in Christ, that is not something that we even did. We didn't initiate it. And it's very important in our identity that we understand this. That Jesus looked at us in our sin and said, I choose them. If you were chosen and didn't choose him, because even the choosing of him was done by a grace that he gave us, faith, which is a gift that he gave us. If that's the case, you can't be unchosen by your sin because he chose you in your sin. Are you, are you catching this? You, you're blessed with every spiritual blessing and he has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world. I just want to ask you right here, right now, let that sink in. You are chosen by the Godhead. That is who you are according to his own holy word. You are chosen. That's amazing. And that's not even speaking of the born-again you. <laughs> that's chosen before you were born again. Why did he choose us? Or, or what, what, go, what goes on here? To, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And that before means directly in front of, in the face of. Why did he choose us? He chose us that we could be holy and without blame in his presence. Let me ask you a question. Does that mean that we are positionally holy and without blame? In other words, that even though all of us have a sin nature, we're looked at by God as holy and without blame. Or does it mean that we should become literally, practically holy and without blame? <laughs> Anybody else want to say? The answer is yes. So for too long, it's only been because of the blood of Jesus, I am forgiven and I'm accepted and, and uh, 
some have even kind of gone and done as they please and done as they will and lived however they want. No. Y- yes, we are, tr- we are holy. We, because of the blood of Jesus, God reveres us with the same righteousness that he sees in Jesus. When our faith is in Jesus, we become before God holy and blameless because of Jesus. That, through now following Jesus, he would cause us to become more and more expressing holiness and blamelessness through our lives. Does that make sense? In the old covenant, we tried to be holy and blameless in order to be with God. In the new covenant, because he's chosen us, we ultimately become holy and more and more holy and blameless. You follow? If you make a mistake, does God stop loving you? No, but the idea is that he makes us holy and blameless that we would actually become who we are. As Jesus was God's chosen one in him, you and I are the same. Verse 5, having predestined us to adoption, there's the third one, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So he's blessed us, he's chosen us, but there's something more than just having been chosen. It's one thing to be chosen, whatever that may mean. Chosen to be holy and blameless, he chooses us. That's awesome, that's amazing. But it's a whole other thing to realize the specificity of what it is that he's drawing us into And it's to become his very own son and daughter. That's the specific heart of the Father God. Is he wants to redeem us back into that specific relationship. Adoption as sons. Uh, The original Greek would not literally, it, it would basically carry the same idea. But it's placing as children. That's, that's what it is, is that he is... Uh, predestined us to place us as his children by Jesus Christ to himself. And so if, if God has specifically brought us into that relationship as a son, that's why we're singing, he's a good, good father. And uh, also why we're singing of um, it, it, you're a good, good father, it's who you are, I'm loved, it's who I am. You know, it's that relationship between who he is and consequently who I therefore am. Not because of anything I've done, because of who he is. And he has adopted us as sons. And what is the idea of of a son? What is the idea of, of carrying that role? I would say a few things. One, scripturally, has to do with fear. Is that we're no longer slaves to fear. Uh... But we've been given the spirit of adoption, Paul says in Romans chapter 8. It, it, when, when you realize you're not, a, you're not an orphan, you're not a spiritual orphan, we're not God out there and us down here and hopefully I can walk in a good place with him, he has brought you into a relationship with himself as his own child. I think another aspect of, of the reality of being a son is that you are made such by virtue of your birth, not because of anything, any kind of performance. Can you perform to become a, a child of somebody and, and work your way there? No, it's, it's by virtue of your birth, and in this case, it's the new birth. It's being born again. 
when you get born again through confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord, you are a son. You're not able to become a son. It is who you are. You are his. And I know some of you are females and saying, what about us? Well, the Bible kind of says you're a son too. And it's because biblically in that era, the, the idea is that the son received an inheritance. And what God's saying is, regardless of your natural gender, you are a, 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 a son with an inheritance, like a firstborn. You're a, but let's not even get down that path. Let's just realize we are his child and he loves us and takes care of us. He, we are his responsibilities, the next thing I wanted to say. So as Jesus was God's son, check this out. If that's true, Jesus is God's son. In him, we become the same. You may remember Matthew chapter 16. Jesus asks, who do you say I am? Peter, after they say a bunch of stuff, maybe Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets, Peter rises up, says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And we said recently, Jesus' response to him is that blessed are you, Simon, son of John. That's your old name, Simon, and your earthly father is John. That's what he's pointing out. Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, this identity of who I am, but my father in heaven, and I say to you, you are Peter, new name. And, and, and on this rock I will build my church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. By seeing Jesus as who he is, you yourself become. You're given a new name, new identity, new father. As you see who Jesus is, you become what you see. It's in you. Why? Because he lives in you. Am I making sense? When you see Jesus, you're seeing what's in you. It's not you unto yourself. It's that in the same way that Jesus is in the Father and the Holy Spirit is in them and they are in it. And in the new birth, you enter into the fellowship with the Godhead where you are in Christ and the Father is in Christ and Christ is in the Father and you become intrinsically inseparable and that which has been placed in you by the Holy Spirit is God himself. Seeing him makes you to see who you have become in him and are therefore called to walk in this earth. And so um, verse 6 this is an important uh, part of what we're going to see repeated in this chapter is this expression right here, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Just take note of that. The praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Accepted. There's the, the next one, the fourth one. Accepted in the beloved. Uh, the beloved, of course, is Jesus himself. He's the one who is loved. And because of him being loved, and in him you become loved, but it's accepted. Now, I want to just point something out, that this word translated in our English Bible as accepted, charituo, is only used in this verse right here, and the other time in Luke chapter 1, verse 28. And, and I think Luke 1, 28 gives us more of an expanded idea of what this word actually means. And the word is used by the angel speaking to Mary, when the angel comes to Mary, the teenager, and announces to her that she will become impregnated with God's son. That's quite a thing for a roughly 13-year-old girl to find out, right? How many of you, when you were 13, would have liked that message? And, uh, and, uh, but the angel says to her, as many of you well know, 
verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. That is the same word, sheratuo, as translated as accepted in Ephesians 1.6. Highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Highly favored. How was it that Mary was highly favored? What was it that made her highly favored? Well, I, I would say the perhaps obvious is that out of all the women in all of eternity, God chose that one to be the one through whom God himself would enter into the world in the form of a human. She would have the amazing privilege of rearing the Son of God. You know, that, somebody called out in the crowd one time, blessed are the, are the breasts that have given him suck, you know, that, to speak in the King James. In other words, like the woman who reared you is blessed. That's, that's the idea is the amazing privilege that it would be. And God, through the angel, says that she's highly favored. And the idea is, is that we, to the praise of his glory, of his grace, by which he has made us highly favored, highly favored in the beloved you and I, my friends, are highly favored to be the ones through whom Christ would manifest himself in the earth. That is no small thing. Christ is not going to manifest himself through such and such church incorporated down at the corner of whatever street and whatever street. He's not going to manifest himself through the NCMI team, the apostolic team. He has chosen to manifest himself in the earth through you and me. Every bit as much as is the case with Mary. In fact, more so. Mary gave birth to him. We embody him in the flesh. Highly favored. Because of Jesus. So we're selected to bring forth Christ into the earth. And in the same way that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary so that her womb would have the seed of God inside of it, the Holy Spirit is upon the church. That what comes forth through us does not come from our own effort. It is in us by the planting of God himself. That's highly favored. Would you agree? Verse 7. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. This concept of redemption, in case you aren't aware, is the idea of ransom or release. I don't know if you know this, kind of a strange example, but there's a, a, a woman on the U.S. American Olympic basketball team uh, Bethany Griner, and uh, she is sentenced to be held hostage, a prisoner, uh, I would say hostage, prisoner in Russia for nine years. Why? Because she was found to have possession of less than a gram of hashish oil while in Russia performing some of the, uh, I guess, the Olympic 
something. She was some kind of sports thing. I guess it was the Olympics. But the point is nine years. And we all know that this is just a political game they're playing to use her as leverage in some kind of hostage release situation. And, and, and the idea that Paul is saying here is identifying that you and I are hostage held in a prison. What is that prison? It is sin, the prison of sin and the penalty that is associated with it, which is damnation to all of mankind because of sin. And the prison that is, goes with sin and its effects on our lives in this earth. How many of you know sin messes our stuff up? Sin messes up our families. Sin messes up our marriages. Sin messes up our relationships. Sin messes up our handling of finances. Sin messes up our concept of who we are and our identity and our, our self-worth. And sin messes, has messed up everything. Sin has literally been the doorway through which all the evil that you and I experience in this earth all is rooted back in disobedience. We are held hostage to this thing, and God is saying to us, and I want you to, us all to hear this this morning, as who we are, we have redemption. Redemption, the ransom, has been paid to release us. The, I've said this a couple times recently, the benefits of a thing are directly associated with the cost of a thing. We said a few weeks ago, if I bought a, a skillet from the Dollar General store for whatever you buy a skillet for, I guess it's $1.25 or something, you wouldn't have much expectation with regards to the benefits of that skillet, right? But if I paid, uh, how is it, Les Crusets? Les Crusets, uh, which is a, a, a stainless steel, you know, top of the line, frying pan. You probably have one, given the, the hospitality that you, you operate in. Um, the, if, we, if we have that and we spend, I don't know, two, 250 on it, we're probably going to expect a lot more than what we expect from the Dollar General version. Would you agree with me? And the question, therefore, is what is the benefit of the blood of the creator of heaven and earth? What, what did that purchase well, we have a good idea right here in verse 7. Redemption. I want, I want to say to you this morning, the redemption he purchased has been, has, is finalized. There ain't nothing more that you and I have to pay to be free. To be free from sin and the penalty and the effects of sin. The redemption has been paid for. Anything less than that is an affront to the value of Jesus' blood. It is either as valuable as it sounds like it is, or, or this thing is a, a farce, and it's not. It is finished. You and I are freed from the, from the power of Satan, the power of hell, the power of everything that came because of sin. You and I are freed, not because of how great our faith is, because of who Jesus is and what he did. He is God and he sacrificed his own self for our redemption. It is finished. We are freed from that thing. We've, we've been brought back into the, the power of God. But how are we redeemed? Through his blood. Through his blood. It is the blood of Jesus. That was the ransom, my friends. That was the ransom. 
I don't know what the ransom is for Bethany Griner, what the U.S. is going to, I, I hope they find a way to pay nothing and get her back somehow. But in this case, it required something of a hefty ransom. And Jesus, while we were still sinners, chose to pay that ransom for us. In Christ, we are fully brought back from the penalty of sin. But what is, what is this redemption? We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's specifically what, what the redemption is, is that you and I cannot be held ransom if there's no charge against us. That is the redemption, is Jesus paid the penalty that what was due us because of sin, he paid it so that there is no longer and, and will no longer be a charge against us before God. Are you following it? You're forgiven in him. We live our lives so oftentimes slipping and falling, and I'm not saying that you don't need to make it right with God when you slip and fall. You do. The Bible says you should. If you say you have no sin, you're a liar, which makes you a sinner, the Bible says, 1 John. He who sins, confess that he has sinned, and, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us all. We, we still confess and make the relationship right, but our position in Christ as a born-again child of God is holy and blameless, forgiven. <laughs> Some of y'all's facial expression doesn't match the truth that's being said here, but that's okay. You don't need to have a facial expression to me as long as you see what Jesus has done for you. In Christ you are forgiven according to the riches of his grace. Is that ever maybe an understatement? The riches of his grace, which he, not to say the Bible is under, wrong, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. And here's what we're building up to is that we receive God's glory as an inheritance. Verse 11, in him we also have obtained an inheritance. I believe, what is that, the fifth one? Being predestined. What is this inheritance? Predestined. According to the purpose of him which works all things. Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. The pra Here's another way of saying that. That we who first trusted in Christ should cause his glory to bring praise. How is God's glory seen in the earth? Through us. Check this out. Because you and I think it audacious, we say that word a lot, for sure, we, mag, we, we think it almost um, irreverent to imagine that God's glory would manifest on, on me. Like, who am I? And that sounds so humble. It's actually full of unbelief, that idea. That if you are expecting the glory of God to manifest on you, not so that you are glorified, but that you become to the praise of his glory. God becomes glorified in the earth when people who don't yet know him see him by seeing you. This is the inheritance that we have obtained. 
This is what all of this builds up to, is that the ultimate victory of God is that what was lost at the fall, which was communion with God, where God, where people were seeing who God is, now through what Jesus has done, the world would still see the glory of God and stand before it and have to give account to that because and see the magnificence of his love and his glory and his virtue, see it, but God in his amazement has chosen that the world see it through us. Not just by seeing him. Why? Because he's a good, good father. And his heart is all about his children. And he would rather use us to partake with us in his glory. But again, not just so that we are glorified. We don't get even, if, if you get glorified in it, the whole thing's wrong. But the tragedy is, unless people see God's glory through you and me, they'll never see God's glory. It has to manifest through the church, the purpose of the church, to manifest something of God's glory in our humanness, in our humanity, in our earthen vessels, as the Bible says. In other words, how many of you have sometimes seen something in the anointing of the Holy Spirit on my life? Has anybody hopefully seen something like that? I hope so. Seen something of God using me, and yet, if you've been in community group long enough with us and eaten meals in my house, you've probably seen my humanity too. Mickey's works closely with me. Mickey's, and I've seen some of your humanity, bro. <laughs> we've gone to LA and to Chicago. We've done stuff together. I know that he's faulted, and he knows that I'm faulted. And what I'm trying to say, you all are faulted. And yet, in the midst of all that, God's glory because of the grace of Jesus, is able to multi uh, uh, manifest itself in our faultedness, in the midst of it. Just go ahead and get comfortable with it. Because so much, so, so much of our doubt and unbelief is rooted in the idea that I'm not ready yet to manifest the glory of God, for God to be seen through me. I need to get through this problem. I need to solve this issue. I need to get over this stronghold. I need to get this thing right in my life. And then, and God's saying, it is in you now. Can you believe? Okay, so let's, let's move on. The praise of his glory. Verse 13. In him you also trusted. Now this is significant. And uh, others who are going to be preaching the different chapters, teaching the different chapters, are going to uh, probably elaborate on this a little bit. But the idea here is you may have noticed in verse 12 it said that we who first trusted in Christ. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Jews. It's about the original ones that the gospel first went to, which was the Jews in Jesus' time. He went to the Jews. Jesus said, I go not but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He never left the confines of the boundaries of that nation. That's where the gospel started. It was God's chosen people. We who first trusted should be to the praise of his glory. But Paul here is writing to a church in Ephesus, a very, very Gentile kind of European area. Gentiles, not Jews. And he says in verse 13, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Check out this in verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? I hope you're checking all this. 
Paul just said that the Jews first trusted and they received an inheritance. And as we just said, it was to, that the, the praise of his glory would be seen through them. And he is saying, you also trusted. So whoever you also is, I would consider myself a you also. I wasn't born a Jew. It's by the grace of God I've come into that thing. And if you have retrusted in Jesus, you also have received the same thing without any kind of lessening. There's not a Gentile version and a Jewish version. It is given to all of us that we would manifest something of the glory of God. How does that happen? How can the glory of God manifest on Brenda or on Peter or on Paul? How does this happen? We got to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit in you that is the completion of God, that is the fullness of God, that is the glory of God within you. Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee? What is the promise? It's the, it's the uh, to being to the praise of his glory. And this Holy Spirit in verse 14, we find out is the guarantee. Bob and I both are licensed realtors. We kind of speak this language. Another way of saying the guarantee is earnest money. Anybody, if you've bought a house, you would maybe remember there's something called an earnest money deposit. What is an earnest money deposit? It's, I go to Peter, and Peter has a $200,000 house. I say, I want to buy this house. I'll pay your full asking price of $200,000. And he says, okay, well, you know, I know you've got to get approved by the bank, but in the meantime, if I'm going to accept your offer and stop advertising this house to other people, give me some money now. Not the full $200,000, but give me $2,000. And I say, okay, this is my earnest money. And usually it's held in an escrow account by the title company, a third party. And if I breach contract, if I pull out of the deal and violate contract, that $2,000, that skin in the game I put in there fully belongs to him as the seller. Am I making sense or am I just speaking real estate jargon that none of you know what I'm talking about? And what Jesus, what God the Father is saying is your eternal inheritance being forever in eternity in the glory of the eternal kingdom of God you have an earnest money deposit placed inside of you now which is a a a, a can I say a piece of heaven already inside of you I, I struggle to say peace because I don't want to make it sound like it's a junior version or a, or, a, or a small version it's 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 the heaven itself deposited in you now you still have a sin nature in this earth and you've got evil in this earth and things that come against us in this earth, and we, we battle in this earth, but there, there will be no sin nature. There, there will be no battle. There, there will be no opposition. It will just be the full unveiling of what is already in us. And that's what the Bible is saying is, you have your destiny in you, deposited as an earnest deposit right there. And what is it? It's a guarantee of, of what, what is the, the guarantee? What is what is the, 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 the full purchase possession? The praise of his glory. Glory. The glory of God. You want to know what, something of what the glory of God looks like? Go back to Revelations chapter 1. See what John saw when he saw Jesus in his resurrected state. Re Revelations 1 through 5, in fact. See the worship of Jesus. He is both the, the, the lamb who took away the sins, slain lamb, took away the sins of the earth, but he is a roaring lion 
who has all glory, all power, all authority. And he's in you. Verse, you know what? Can I just read a couple other verses to, to us this morning? Because some of you don't yet believe that you are destined for the glory of God to manifest through you. And uh, I just feel like let's, let's, let's drive it home a little bit more. Romans 8.29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Did you know that you were predestined to be conformed into the image of his son because the spirit of his son is in you? That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Oh, you still don't believe me? Okay, that's fine. Isaiah 60. Arise, verse 1, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. Anybody seen that happen? 2020 with some darkness covering the earth. Uh, there's just darkness all over the, all the time. Darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Dang it, you still don't believe me, do you? Ephesians chapter 4, which we'll look at in a few weeks, obviously. This doesn't say the word glory, but listen to what it does say. And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints. Who are the saints? You and me. For the work of the ministry. Well, I thought the pastor did the work of the ministry. He does, and so do all of us. And we need equipping to do it. But why do we do the work of the ministry? Is there a goal associated with this work? Or are we just working? No, there's a goal. There's a point. What is that point? For the edifying of the body of Christ until. Until is goal language, is it not? It's, it's bullseye language. There's a point. Until What? We all come to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, in other words, revelation of Jesus, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What's the vision of the church, Paul? Well, first of all, I don't have a vision. The scripture has a, Jesus has a vision. And that is the vision. Christ in the earth, seen once again, by those who live in darkness. The glory of God manifesting on the people of God who follow Jesus wherever he goes because we have seen him for who he is. He is worthy of all of our faith, all of our obedience, all of our sacrifice. We go wherever he wants us to go, do whatever he wants us to do, say whatever he wants to say. And in that place, God can glorify himself through a people. Am I preaching truth? All of what Jesus accomplished for us was with a view of having a people on earth through whom God's glory would be seen. Verse 15, Therefore I also, after I heard the, of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention for you in my prayers. Let me ask you guys a question. If all of these things are true about us, I mean, what, what, what have we said so far? We, we're blessed 
We're chosen, we're adopted, we're favored, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're glorified. If all of that has been accomplished for us, why does the Apostle Paul need to be praying for these folk? It sounds to me like they're doing straight up fine. Am I right? Why is he praying for them? Because it's not that something needs to be done in them. He's praying for them that they would see what has been done in them so that they could walk in it. If you don't believe me, let's keep reading what he prays for them. There, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, unveiling, in other words, that which has not been seen would be seen in the knowledge or revelation of Jesus, of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Is this starting to make sense? That, that what is done in us is done but there's something about the, those that it is done inside of need to be able to see it. you got to see him, but it's in seeing him. you got to see what he, who he is in you and consequently who you are in him. You have to see it to wisdom, uh, through revelation. According, uh, toward us who believe according to the working of his power. And so what we're about to read in these next few verses shows us that we see who we are in him by seeing him. Because Paul goes back to demonstrating, to speaking some things about the specificity of what this power of Jesus looks like. Verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. In other words, he's saying, Church of Ephesus, when I speak of this power of God that's toward you who believe, let me remind you of who Jesus is and what he did and how he demonstrated this power, how this power is demonstrated in him. God worked in Christ when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. My reality is that if this is true, then I need to be able to walk through all the stuff that, believe you me, I walk through in this earth, me, and know that there is one inside of me who is raised up from the dead. Even death couldn't hold this one down. But not only that, he didn't even just stay on this earth resurrected from the dead. He ascended above this earth. Not only that, he ascended to the very right hand of God, seated, seated, sit down, finished with far above, not above, far above all principality, powers, and dominions. That's the one who lives in me. And, the, and every time I feel impotent, and believe you me, there are moments I do, I feel helpless and impotent. That reality that I just described does not change for me, and it doesn't change for you. There is Power in the name of Jesus over everything that we face. Not so that we can get through and survive and not have bad things happen to us. So that we 
can fulfill his purpose, which ultimately in one way, shape, or form is him being seen in the earth through us. That's the point. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In other words, this amazing thing that God has accomplished through the person of Jesus is specifically for the church. Who is the church? It's not the people that gather at First Baptist on the corner of so-and-so and whatever. I'm not downing the Baptist. I'm saying Border City Church, you name it. It's not the entity. It's not the organization. It is every person who has had the gift of faith born in their heart that made them say, I see Jesus, you are Lord, and I confess you are my Lord and become a born-again child of God. That's the church. And everything that has happened in Christ was for those people. And we have it. It's in us. So just a couple thoughts, and then I want to make some confessions, and then we'll, we'll close. I hope that we can, without any doubt this morning, say that self-abasement, who am I? Well, I can't do anything. Self-abasement is not humble. It's actually anti-scripture. Self-abasement is not godly if it disagrees with what God has said about you. And can I ask, what has God said about you? He said that you're blessed with all spiritual blessings. You're chosen, you're adopted, you're favored, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, and you're given God's glory. Self-abasement, neither does it please God. Faith pleases God. And what is, what is faith? It's simply agreeing with what God says. That is what faith is. Through Genesis through Revelation, faith looks like that, agreeing with heaven. And I'm going to give us an opportunity this morning, right here, right now, just in the presence of the Lord. And I ask maybe, would you shut your eyes and just bring your attention and your thoughts to his presence, your fellowship with Jesus right here, right now. And I want him to give an opportunity for us Whisper, shout, say, whatever you want to do, but confess the, the, the realities. There is something powerful. I don't know how to explain it. There is something powerful when we hear God speak, when we say it back to him. Uh, please hear that. When, you, when God shows you something, make sure you speak it you pray it back so as to agree here on earth with what has been spoken in heaven because that's where the power is and so let's say this together father thank you that i am blessed with every spiritual blessing thank you that I am chosen. Thank you that I am adopted. Thank you that I am favored, highly favored. Made it a little hard for you on that one. 
Thank you that I am redeemed. Thank you. I am forgiven. And thank you that you have given me your glory.